Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Resilient Christian Podcast. I'm Aaron, your host, and thanks for listening. Today, we want to talk about an important topic, one that impacts many people, and that is trauma. And how can trauma be transformed and healed? This is a really important topic to me and to many people. And so I hope you take time to learn more about it. Today, I'm joined with Dr. Peter Salerno, psychologist and author of a new book on trauma called Fit for Off-Duty, a manual for firefighters healing from work-related trauma, restoring personal relationships, and thriving at home. What's interesting, though, about the belief shift is it's hard to make sense of it at first. They'll say, I know I'm supposed to be upset right now, but I'm just not. Or last week, I had a memory of what happened and I normally fall apart or get angry or go do this. And I just didn't feel the urge to do that. And I don't know why. And, and so it kind of takes time to catch up with the processing and that it's actually a permanent shift in the way you're going to react to a trauma memory. By the way, I want to thank everyone who, for listening and following us on this podcast journey. I want to give a shout out to Willie who reviewed us and said, Aaron and John have done such an awesome job with this podcast. I would recommend it for anyone looking to grow in their faith. The episodes have been very challenging and convicting. So far, my favorite episode was with Dr. Kyle Strobel, where prayer becomes real. It's impacted my prayer life. And so guys, keep up the good work. Thank you, Willie, for the shout out and everyone else who has sent us a lot of love. And if you would, please review us on Apple Podcasts, give us a good review and follow us wherever you listen. Thanks again, everyone. And now back to the show. What What is trauma? For anybody who doesn't know what it is, your book, um, by the way, real quick, let me just make sure to throw out about your book. So so Peter just came out with a new book. It's called Fit for Off-Duty, uh, a manual for firefighters healing from work-related trauma, restoring personal relationships, and thriving at home. And it is terrific. I've got through about 75% of the book. And he goes through kind of basics of trauma and he applies it to first responders, but we can hear, hear and learn a lot today about trauma from Peter. Um, so yeah, Peter, in general, what, what is trauma? How would you define it? Yeah. So I would define trauma based on the book um, as basically trauma is caused by either a personal experience or uh, witnessing someone else experience an event that is so overwhelming that the brain and the nervous system become flooded or overloaded or overwhelmed beyond the natural capacity. And so essentially something that is kind of not supposed to happen <laughs> really kind of happens. And then the nervous system, which neuroscience has revealed to us now that the nervous system is really just an extension of the brain in the skull. So the brain kind of extends throughout the entire body and when something is too overwhelming for it, um, it kind of gets overwhelmed to the point where it, it shuts down and creates a blockage of that connection between um, mind and body. And that disconnect can cause, uh, you know, severe harm and be very detrimental to physical and mental health. So a disconnect between mind and body seems mm -hmm. really important. And you talked about in chapter four, you said um, that we think of trauma like a physical accident happens to us and there's head trauma, but there's emotional trauma 
And that can happen and enter into our lives through the five senses, not right. just a physical wound, but the five senses. Right. Um, and so you must see that a lot with first responders. They, they see something um, and, and then there's a disconnect of their mind and their body. Correct? Oh, Is that yeah. what I'm hearing? For sure. Yeah. I mean, so a, fi- a firefighter can literally go to, or a first responder um, can literally go on a call Mm-hmm. And just seeing something, smelling something, um, touching something with their hands, making a movement with their hands, um, hearing something, um, that can um, that can imprint a traumatic memory. Mm-hmm. And then later on, like you, it could be years later, it could be weeks later, whatever, that um, that can be triggered and reactivated in their present life, and they basically relive the original event. The problem is. We uh, earlier I mentioned the the disconnect between body and mind. It's hard to kind of integrate and understand where the trigger's coming from when you're traumatized because you know typically if we have a memory, let's say let's say you heard a song that was very nostalgic or sentimental to you that you haven't heard in a while and it kind of transports you back to a time when things were great. You know maybe it was a song you heard um, when you were you know, first with your wife or maybe, you know, just something like kind of important. And you can kind of coherently recall from beginning, middle to end that memory, you know, it's triggered by the song, but it brings a feeling of, you know, nostalgia, a good, a good feeling with trauma memories. There's no beginning, middle and end because we don't, they, they don't get processed in a way where they're, um, consolidated. And so they're very fragmented. It's almost like there's missing pieces of a train track. You know, you kind of like imagine a train going down a track and then there's a piece missing. It kind of will get stuck or derailed. So you could have a trauma experience, like a trigger, um, and not know or not figure out how to identify the link to the original event. And that can cause confusion, disorientation, humiliation, shame, all kinds of emotions that sort of like this what's wrong with me type of uh, question you ask yourself because there's not really a direct link between the thought and the feeling. And you mentioned that that people who experience trauma, they have a lot of different symptoms, anxiety. Um, but what what would be a symptom for someone, especially a firefighter or first responder, of them having trauma? And then would that be different from someone who's not a first responder of how they would, how trauma would would be expressed in their life? Mm, Good question. I mean, I think there are general or universal signs of trauma for first responders specifically. um, What I've heard based on what they've reported to me is they experience a lot of flashbacks, meaning Mm -hmm. they could be doing something seemingly random in their present day on or off duty, and it'll transport them back to a an image in their mind will just kind of flash in their mind without their, without their control, their mm-hmm. consent. And it feels really, you know, jarring because it's like, where did this come from? You know, why am I having this image? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that, that visual aspect. Um, there can be body sensations that first responders experience, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like I worked with a particular uh, paramedic who, he would go to he would try to work out at the gym and if he put his if he put weight or pressure on his hands and his wrists in a certain way he was actually kind of transported back to 
a traumatic call where he was giving chest compressions. Oh, wow. And he would have these flashes in his mind of this memory. And he's like, well, what's going on with me? I'm just at the gym, you know? And so it's that that disconnect that causes you to really be confused. It catches you off guard. It's very startling. Mm. Um, they're, first responders are prone to having nightmares um, or just insomnia is, mm. a, is another sign, you know, not sleeping at all. Their, their sleep is compromised, like, just because of the job, you know, their hours, their schedule. But um, adding nightmares to that is, you know, a big deal. When people hear the word trauma, they often think physical trauma, like getting hit in the head or being in a car crash. And that does count as trauma. But we can also experience emotional trauma from a childhood experience, a relationship, a work-related event. And it can impact how we are formed as Christians, how we love others, God and ourselves. According to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, trauma results from an event a series of events or set of circumstances that is experienced by an individual as physically or emotionally harmful or life-threatening and that has a lasting adverse effect on a person's individual functioning and mental, physical, social, emotional, or spiritual well-being. This event and then the experience of that event um, is often um, brought meaning from that person, often unconsciously. Traumatic events can be an abusive relationship a work-related event, experiencing a natural disaster, or being in a war. This can take place over a series of, of, of incidences or time or in a single moment. You can have a single event trauma that can really like kind of catapult you into that traumatized state. It can be cumulative or gradual, starting from um, the beginning of the job and just kind of like this stockpiled trauma is how I refer to it in the book. But there's also... Um, a lot of first responders who are contending with uh, personal trauma in their daily lives, their domestic lives, right? So they go home and there's trauma, or they grew up with adverse childhood experiences um, that kind of set them up to, you know, kind of develop this capacity to tolerate the trauma, but the nervous system is just, you know, so compromised. And the norm now, the the equilibrium, the homeostasis of their nervous system is is to be out of sorts, right? It's like they're normal, but it's it's sort of kind of degenerating and and making them more prone to you know developing conditions that are not so healthy. Uh, what role does anger play? Is is there mm-hmm. is there is there anger? Uh, are there is there outbursts, impatience? What role does that play um, in people who've experienced trauma? Yeah, all the above. Um, but I think people typically people typically would um, assume that that's a part of their personality, like part of who they are. So a lot of first responders will come to me and say, you know, I took a 12-week anger management class and it didn't do anything. And now I'm like, I heard about this new therapy, like I need help. And um, they're really focused on treating that that symptom, right? That sign. Well, the anger is not the problem. It's whatever led to the anger. That's it's the, the thing under the thing. Mm-hmm. It's the thing yeah. under the thing. So, yeah. but who, you know, who would know that unless you kind of studied that, right? You just, you're kind of looking at the way you're behaving. And so, but I would say that, um, 
being traumatized can lead to a very low frustration tolerance because you're you're just holding on for dear life, so to speak. Your nervous system is hijacked. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't take too much to get you to um, that level of anger or irritability that would typically take a long time for somebody mm. um, who wasn't in that hyper arousal state. So because of the that's the kind of fight or flight uh, kind of trigger, I would imagine. Exactly. They're because of the trauma, they are in a, a high arousal state, and so uh, circumstances can trigger uh, a fight response pretty fast. They're in a perpetual state of arousal. And um, whereas normally you would experience a, a, a distressing event and then your um, your parasympathetic nervous system would kick in and, and activate that rest and digest. Mm -hmm. Problem with firefighters and first responders is when they have a day off, they know they're going back to the war zone, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So they're always gearing up to experience a trauma. They can guarantee they're going to get traumatized again. They don't refer to it as that. And they don't even probably think in those in those terms, but their nervous system is gearing up in those terms. Well, one of the misconceptions about trauma is that it's rare. Mm. It's actually pretty common. Yeah. The more um, I read about it, I'm like, dude, it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's everywhere. It's kind of a problem of everyday life. And yeah. um, it can start in childhood. Um, you mentioned attachment earlier. There is such a thing as attachment trauma. So um, the way that you were raised could have involved... Um, you know, some abuse or some neglect. And that could, that could turn into trauma that you kind of carry with you across your lifespan. Um, I think other trauma indicators um, are learned behaviors, even, mm. you know, like some people mistake some of the learned behaviors for um, genetic predispositions. They'll say, Oh, I'm genetic. I, I'm just, um, it's genetic. I'm just a, a workaholic, or I'm an angry person. That's just who I am. It's my dad was angry. My grandpa was angry. I mean, it's more so that you're learning, you're being modeled. It's being modeled mm -hmm. for you, you know, than yeah. more than, than it, there's no workaholic gene, <laughs> but, um, but it can be kind of transmitted across generations, certain mm -hmm. tendencies, right? Well, you said, which I loved, and you made a really clear emphasis in the book about like trauma doesn't determine your character. Like everyone's responsible for their choices. Yeah. Which I love. But you also said trauma can somehow influence you to act outside of your own normal character. Right. And I think that's been my experience as a pastor when I meet with people um, as I'm learning more about trauma you know, and, and I get into their life history a little bit more, and then I send them off to someone like you when it's beyond my own ability. Um, I realize some of these these impacts of trauma from childhood or even from first responders that I know has really put a lot of stress on their system, and they behave in ways that their spouses and their family don't quite understand. And right. so this brings a lot of explanation and help to what's going on. Absolutely. And, and I, I mention and I emphasize in the book that it's, there's a difference between an explanation and an excuse, right? Mm. Um, trauma can't force anybody to do anything, but it can highly influence you to do things that are out of character. So if you feel like you're recognizing signs of trauma, you would want to, you know, seek some help to get that figured out before you kind of... Um, start behaving out of character too much, you know, in a way that's really detrimental to yourself, to your family. So 
That's good. Explanation versus excuse. That, right. That'll preach. In his groundbreaking book, The Body Keeps the Score, Bessel van der Kolk said this, traumatized people chronically feel unsafe in their own bodies. The past is alive in the form of a gnawing interior discomfort. Their bodies are constantly bombarded by visceral warning signs and in an attempt to control these processes, they often become an expert at ignoring their gut feelings and a numbing awareness of what is being played out inside. They learn to hide from themselves. But what are ways that people try to cope with this? Yeah. Um, so typically um, people, once they reach a point where they're kind of confused about how they're feeling and they can't mm. really gain control over even relaxation, sleep, you know, um, feeling feeling good in their downtime, they start to kind of um, act out in ways that would derive pleasure versus pain right so mm. it's like it's kind of our natural human tendency to avoid discomfort and pain right yeah. um so some of the some of the acting out coping mechanisms that i've experienced uh people telling me about have been um you know substance use so just kind of like mind altering numbing mm. sedating um keeping really really busy to avoid thinking or feeling anything mm. um uh gambling you know b basically anything that kind of has that that pleasure principle gotcha. attached to it kind of gives them a, like a little hit a little getaway yes exactly sort of a so, little escape there yeah sexual pleasure affairs infidelity uh -huh. um all of the above yeah and a lot of it isn't thought out and that's the thing you know i mean I mentioned earlier, there's a difference between an explanation and an excuse, but a lot of these behaviors are just being done in very impulsively. It's sort of like mm. out of desperation. And again, mm. that doesn't excuse the behavior, but it right. also, it kind of makes more sense that it's not like these, it's not like these, um, these trauma victims are just plotting to, you know, do terrible things. It's yeah. sort of like their, their body is getting away from them. But I love what you said though, that there's something about how trauma impacts um, our ability to rest mm -hmm. and that they come to see you when they're not able to find, find rest anymore, which that sounds like kind of what, you know, inspired you to write the book, which, you know, the, the title again is fit for off duty. Mm -hmm. So you're, 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 it sounds like you're, you're really trying to speak into, you know, how can they go and leave their, their, their work and actually function as human beings. Right. And that sounds like that's that tipping point for them. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's difficult for them to turn off that go switch because their nervous system, like I said, is it's in you know, like if you if you if you drive down the street, it's possible you could encounter an accident. And if you slow mm -hmm. down and look at the accident, you might see something you don't want to see that's kind of unpleasant and that could be traumatizing. But you don't think that's gonna happen to you the next day. You just mm -hmm. You know, you kind of move on with your life. With first responders, they anticipate that they're going to see something oh, um, wow. abnormal every time they're on duty. So that off-duty switch, no one teaches them, as far as I know, how to shut that off when they go home and just to kind of live a domestic civilian life when they're not. Their, their nervous system is essentially gearing up for a fight when they're at home with their kids or with yeah. their spouse. Yeah. 
And so wow. That was the That's... main motivation for the book is to teach them how to how to shut that off so they can experience and enjoy their off-duty time. You talked about the brain and the science behind it. And I, there's all this really cool science in the book. And I, I kind of geek out to that. Like, I love love <laughs> all that because I'm like, oh, it's so cool. Yeah. But you talk about like there, there's some a relationship between what creates emotion in us, the almond, almond glands, um, mm-hmm. and the trauma. What happens with our brain and, and trauma? What goes on? Right. So um, we have these two almond-shaped organs in our body, which um, are basically our smoke detector. They mm-hmm. alert us to danger. And so those activate the fight-or-flight system, essentially. Mm-hmm. Shut off the cortex, which is the logical reasoning part of the brain, and tell us, just pay attention to survival mode if there's a threat, mm-hmm. if they perceive a threat. And so that's in the limbic or emotional center of the brain. So when you're experiencing a trauma, you're... Um, body is going to activate that survival mechanism, that fight or flight, famous fight or flight response. And that's an autopilot response. Um, We don't have any control over that. Because trauma is literally too much for the body to handle, the nervous system, as I said earlier, gets flooded, overloaded, and stops the trauma information from processing properly. Mm. Um. And that information taken in by the five senses, right, um, will literally pause the body in that fight or flight state, okay? Mm -hmm. So you have two things going on. You have the body paused in that state of threat, thinking that there's a threat, which creates that hypervigilance, hyperawareness. And then you have what's happening to the brain, which trauma is stored in an isolated network in the brain. Mm. That creates a a brain body disconnect Mm. right so again you could have a a physiological trigger that would activate a memory of a trauma but your brain doesn't know how to link it to a memory and that's when things can just kind of go haywire you feel like your your mind and body are hijacked almost like you're held captive by the trauma okay so just i want to make sure i'm understanding this Mm mm-hmm when a trauma happens, the part in our brain uh, triggers the fight or flight. Right. And because trauma is so intense, our brains can't process what we're seeing in the memory. And so there becomes a body-brain disconnect. Exactly. Correct? And, and then our body can never process, uh, process all of that intensity because of, of that disconnect. And so that we re- and so people who go through trauma remain in a state of arousal, and 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 they don't know what to do with all that that's being stored up in their body. Right, they don't really have a choice what to do with it. Normally, a, a memory, like let's say you um, you had something for lunch on Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, normally, when you sleep and you enter into REM sleep, um, your brain consolidates whether or not that information is important. Mm. Is it important enough that I remember what I had for lunch today? Probably not. So it just kind of caches it out, right? Mm. If there's anything significant from the day, it will remember that because it wants you to pay attention to it the next time around. And so it consolidates it, but you're in control of the recall. So that's when you can say, hey, remember that day when we did this? With trauma, it sneaks up on you without warning Mm. and there's gaps in it. So it's not like you're in control of recalling it, anything can recall it. 
first responder or not, if you're traumatized, um, it's going to compromise your ability to remember things properly. And there's a lot of gaps, which is the gaps are um, not that you can't remember, but it's almost like you made it a point not to remember certain things because they were just too overwhelming. So that's where dissociation and blocking and suppression and repression come in. Speaking about how someone is healed and how healing happens from trauma, Vessel van der Kolk once again wrote in his groundbreaking book, The Body Keeps the Score. The single most important issue for a traumatized person is to find a sense of safety in their own bodies. He went on to write, Neuroscience research shows that the only way we can change the way we feel is by becoming aware of our inner experience and learning to befriend what is going on inside ourselves. Looking at healing, mm-hmm. um, there's this practice therapeutic um, uh, healing technique called EDMR. EMDR. What is that? Yeah, what, is, what does that uh, stand for? Is that short for something? It's short for something very long. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing Therapy. And oh, wow. Yeah, the pioneer yeah. and discoverer of that type of therapy actually said if she could go back, she would just, uh, she would just call it reprocessing therapy. Um, um, but essentially what EMDR does is it has, there's a, there's a specific protocol to this type of therapy. It was originally used on, uh, combat veterans Mm. and it's kind of like, um, for the most part, a short term way to heal trauma, um, by, regaining access to the nervous system that has been hijacked from trauma. So, and then it gives you the ability to uh, become desensitized to the traumatic events that have Mm -hmm. happened and to also develop a new belief associated with with the trauma. Because typically when we are traumatized, there's a negative belief that we link to that trauma and it, it has something to do with either uh, personal responsibility, uh, personal defectiveness, um, maybe thinking that you had a choice that you could have made that you really didn't make. Mm. And so there's a lot of blame and shame involved in trauma. And so this therapeutic protocol offers an opportunity to kind of um, change that negative belief into a positive belief. Mm. And belief is crucial to healing from trauma. What we believe about ourselves, others in the world, absolutely crucial to healing from trauma. Man, that's profound. And and so doing that helps their brain uh, process that information. And when you do that, you're able to help them create new beliefs about themselves and the world from that. Correct. Yeah. Wow. It takes the I it takes the isolated memory, traumatic memory that's that's not linked to the body and it it basically allows it to reset and become ancient history. So you're no longer reliving it in the present. You're, you're recalling it as if it was a past memory, like any other memory. What, what are some beliefs that people who go through trauma have about themselves? Yeah. Great question. Um, it's my fault. Um, I could have, I could have, or should have done something different. Mm. Um, I should have told somebody, um, I'm never going to be safe again. Um, I'm permanently damaged. Wow. Are pretty wow. common ones. Yeah. 
does the EMDR, does that help process the guilt and helping them understand it? Like, hey, you did the best you could. Absolutely. Because once we start, once the EMDR protocol is started and it's, um, it's pretty straightforward and to the point, which I think is why it appeals to first responders. It's very pragmatic. Mm. There's like, there's, there's steps and phases to it. One of the phases is testing the validity of the new belief. So typically what I would say, what any EMDR, um, therapist would say is, so you believe it's, as an example, you believe it's your fault what would you like to believe instead? What would you prefer to believe? And they'll tell Mm me, um, I would prefer to believe that I did the best I could. Okay, great. Well, how true do how true does that feel right now? And I'll have them rate it because typically they'll want to believe that, but they don't, they don't really feel it. So the EMDR process is we're not going to stop until that new belief. I did the best I could is 100% true for you. We're not oh, moving wow. on until you no longer have any guilt and you and you 100% believe that you did the best you could, just to use an example. Yeah, I love that question. Can you restate that? How do you, how, what do you ask um, your clients? What's the question? How true is, is that feel to you? Yeah. So the first is, what do you believe about, the, like, let's say, um, just using an example of a first responder um, and then they come in because there's this call they can't seem to move past. I'll ask them, well, what, what's the belief associated with that call? What do you believe about yourself related to this call? Mm-hmm. And let's just say as an example, they say that I should have done something different. So then I will ask them, well, what would you prefer to believe instead? Mm-hmm. And they might say something like, that I did the best I could. I did my best. Okay. And then I'll ask, how true does that feel for you right now? And it typically never feels 100% true. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem, you know. Um, until it feels 100% true, they're still going to be holding on to the trauma. So yeah. the process of the therapy is intended to make them literally associate their new positive belief with the traumatic memory. So wow. let's say a month later they come in and I say, hey, remember that call? What do you believe about it? The goal is for them to say, I did the best I could. I have these images of someone like having this like cathartic breakdown crying moment. And this doesn't sound like that. This sounds more like, like you said, very pragmatic mm-hmm. of like helping those beliefs come in and them grappling with that. Is, am I hearing that correctly? Is, it sounds almost, almost, um, it doesn't sound like they're just breaking down and crying and saying, yes, I did the best I could. It doesn't sound as emotional as I would <laughs> have assumed, you know? No, I I think it, I mean, it depends on the person. It, it's like um, during the processing phase, there is some emoting, there's some mm. catharsis there, there maybe, you know, some crying. You don't have to cry to like heal from trauma. Some people do, some people don't. That's not like a, like if you don't cry and sob and fall apart, then you're not okay. Like that's not really true. Um, what's interesting though about the belief shift is it's hard to make sense of it at first. They'll say, I know I'm supposed to be upset right now, but I'm just not. Or last week I had a memory of what happened and I normally fall apart or get angry or go do this. And I just didn't feel the urge to do that. And I don't know why. Wow. And and so it kind of takes time to catch up with the processing and that it's actually a permanent shift in the way you're going to react to 
a trauma memory. It's pretty bizarre wow. for a lot of people. Yeah, it almost sounds like they don't trust the foundation yet. Like right. they sense like they're they've gone from sand to concrete, but the con they're like, this is different. Yeah, they don't they're know expecting that they're... sand still. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. I mean, that's that's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's a very beautiful process. What what about um, you know, you talk a lot about uh relatives, spouses, family members. Um, for people who go through trauma, how do they make sense of 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 their their loved one? What 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 goes through their mind? What do they experience? Yeah, uh, good question. Well, I mean, and I can answer this coming from a family of first responders. Mm. Um, I think that um, the changes kind of start in a subtle way, and then they start to gradually become like more part of the person's daily behavior. Um, but family members can be vicariously traumatized, meaning exposure to the traumatized person, proximity to the traumatized person at home can cause them to develop trauma because of the stories they hear, or even just the emotional state that the person's in, like, like the kind of the environment, you know, you like there, um, mm. if there's an, if there's a real negative kind of, uh, downcast in, you know, just atmosphere in the house where you can tell mom or dad is like really upset, mm. really heavy, you know, kids, um, especially aren't going to analyze that in an, in an, in an intellectual way. They're just going to feel that energy mm -hmm. and kind of take mm -hmm. it in and be like, something's wrong, something's wrong. So I think it's important for, uh, families, uh, to, not only read a resource like this or any other resource, but to kind of realize that they're just as affected by being related to a first responder, but just in different ways. Mm. And they could benefit from seeking some help too. For people who uh, are married to first responders, if, if their husband or wife go through trauma, is it good for the spouse to join them in counseling too? What What's the relationship there like? Certainly. I think it would be good. Um, to have some couple therapy, family therapy, and mm -hmm. maybe even some individual therapy for the spouse or for the children. I work with a few uh, children of first responders, and um, you know they're 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 pretty smart. They're pretty attuned to what's going on in the in mm -hmm. the atmosphere. Um, and so I'll just ask them point blank, like, do you notice that you know mom or dad's job affects their mood when they get home? And they'll be like, Oh yeah, I know when they've had a bad day at work. And I'm like, I got to ah, ask my okay. kids that. So they're, so they're, they're pretty attuned to the, you know, the emotional climate, you know, depending know. on how severe the trauma is in their, in their parent, who's a first responder. So I would recommend that. Um, and I, I mentioned that in the book, you know, there's, there's vicarious trauma, which is trauma mm -hmm. by proximity. Mm -hmm. There's um, the ongoing personal trauma aside from being a first responder that just happens in domestic households. And then there's the aftermath of childhood, cumulative trauma that's taken place that maybe hasn't been resolved. All of those things um, are factors in in the climate of the the household that everybody's being affected by. So, just I want to wrap us up, but sure. last question about about Christianity and faith in this issue. Um, you talked a lot about just the the human side of it all, mm -hmm. but for for those who 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 have faith and and have been traumatized. How do they integrate their faith into this and bring God into it? What, what role does that have in processing trauma? 
Yeah, great question. I would say it's very important for Christians to know that uh, there are some things that the body is just not capable of forgetting mm. and that have very little or nothing at all to do with, with your faith. Mm. And so Christians who have not been provided with that knowledge um, might make the mistake of like punishing themselves with guilt or shame for something that is literally out of their control, yeah. um, which is unfounded and unnecessary. You know, it's, it's, um, it, it needs to be emphasized that it, something that can't be forgotten has to do more with the relationship between the brain and the body versus mm -hmm. the spirit. Yeah. But it's like, you know, trying to pray trauma away is like trying to pray, you know, I want to lose 50 pounds overnight, you know, make mm. that happen, you know, it, or like, I want to be taller after I'm fully grown. It's like kind of a misdirected use of prayer. That's not how you need to use that prayer. You need to rely on your faith that, um, that you can be healed mm. and then, you know, work on the body on the body's terms, so to speak. That's a really good, really good illustration really good illustration. And I think um, for anybody who's going through trauma, who's a Christian listening, that's what we're here for. You know, on the podcast, we want to see people become stronger disciples of Jesus. And one of the things that's going to really um, hinder someone from being formed into the fullness that Jesus wants for us is carrying around trauma that we haven't processed. Um, you know, as a pastor, when I meet people and they tell me their stories about what they've gone through, um, sometimes I'm, re I'm amazed by the remarkable um, ability that they've been through to, to actually see healing and see God do some cool things, mm. um, but it hasn't come without working at it. You know, uh, it requires work. It requires, you know, seeing a therapist, um, it, actually doing some, some deep work. Um, so, Peter, thank you so much for this time. And is there anything last, uh, last things to say that kind of burning on your heart um, around this area of trauma that might be helpful for anybody listening. Any last things? If you're feeling like you have suffered any kind of trauma as a first responder, maybe in your childhood, um, you know, in, in, a, in a present relationship, or if there's just something that feels like it, you've kind of been, um, you know, emotionally hijacked in some way, that that's a very normal and adaptive response to have and that there's help out there for those types of things. As we conclude this episode, I'm really grateful for Peter and all he shared. I have a few thoughts on how healing happens and how we incorporate our faith in Jesus into it. Number one, accept help and support from other people. We need others to help us grow. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says this, God who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble we comfort, we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. This points to the fact that God does want to comfort us in our pain, in our trauma. Number two, focus on what is true and not what you feel. Oftentimes, emotions can get disconnected or distorted from trauma. And even though we need to pay attention to what's going on in our bodies, we also need to be make sure that we're not getting um, overwhelmed and disconnected and distorted from our emotions. So focus on what is true. Number three. Do not waste energy um, on revenge, but focus on forgiveness. This just kind of speaks to itself. Obviously, we have emotions to deal with, but it's okay to feel angry. It's not okay to act out in anger. And so we want to move towards healing through forgiveness. Number four, hope and trust in God to help you recover. 
In Job chapter 11, 14 through 19, you will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as water is gone by. Life will be brighter than noonday and darkness will become like morning. You will be secure because there is hope and you will look about you and take your rest in safety. You will lie down with no one to make you afraid and many will court your favor. I love that verse in Job. It's awesome. It's not a promise. It is a part of the wisdom literature of Job, but there is something in it, something about hope that really lifts my spirit when it comes to trauma. And so for anybody dealing with trauma, we want to encourage you to continue to invite Jesus and the Holy Spirit into that place and to have hope. And of course, I don't think you can do this alone. I think we need people, groups, the church, good psychologists like, like Peter. And I invite you to find a good Christian therapist wherever you are, if you've been traumatized by an event, and to go to them and begin the work of healing. I want to say a quick prayer for anybody who is going through trauma and uh, conclude our episode with just a word of prayer. And so, Father God, thank you so much for Peter and his work. And I want to pray over anybody listening who's experienced a traumatic event, a traumatic relationship. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come in and to do your work of healing. You want to heal. You are a God who heals, who heals us. And I just want to pray your protection, your blessing, and hope over anybody who's listening who's experienced trauma in their life. Would you bring them to full healing and help them to know you more? In Jesus' name.